You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. I read Isaiah 65:2. I don't want to preach on that tonight. I just want to share it with you because it so moved me. It says, I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. I don't want to preach this tonight, but I thought it was so interesting that he said, it's not good when we walk according to our own thoughts. That's why it's important that we keep our minds renewed. That's why it's important that we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I think it's Bill Johnson that says, we can't afford to have a thought about ourselves that he isn't having about us. We can't afford it. We've got to keep our minds renewed. We've got to watch what we're thinking on. He says that that it's not good to walk according to your own thoughts. I want to talk to you a bit tonight about our thoughts. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's the scripture that we uh, we just confessed, but I want to just look at it a little closer tonight and read through it a little bit slower. Uh, 3 John uh, verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. I I love that. Uh, John is saying there's nothing better than when we know the truth and we begin to walk it out in our life. When the truth we know is not used as a spiritual facade or a super spiritual cover-up, but rather when we authentically begin to walk it out and apply it to our lives, to live it out. No facades, no masks. It's authentic, laid-down lovers of God who are living and applying his word to their life. Remember, we studied that scripture in John 8 that says, if you abide in my word... Then you are truly my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We can't be set free until we know the truth and we can't walk in the truth until, until we know it. It's important. It's the abiding in the word that brings the knowledge of the truth. And then when we get that knowledge of the truth, we can, again, we can begin to apply it to our life and walk it out. John says, I have no greater joy than to know my children are walking in truth. They're living, the, they're living what they're professing with their lips. You see, we can profess the truth all we want. We can memorize it in our little spiral notebooks. We can get it deep within us, and we can confess it and profess it with our life. But until we begin to actually walk that truth out, that's what sanctification is. When we begin to walk that truth out, that's when we begin to really display his likeness and manifest his presence in a greater way. John says that if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. I like that in the Amplified. It says, so if we say we are partakers together and enjoy fellowship with him, when we live and move and are walking about in darkness, we are both speaking falsely and do not live and practice the truth which the gospel presents. 
What would happen, church, if we really began to live the truth that we profess? This is not about condemnation. This is not about shame. This is not about, oh, you should be doing better. This is about knowing the truth, getting it deep within us. He says, if you abide in my word, if you live in it, if you dwell in it, if you continue to remain in it, if you, if you let it get deep inside of you, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It will begin to flow out of you. It'll be what you live. We've got to start walking out what we profess with our mouth. Part of the, our identity is knowing who we are and living it out loud unapologetically. Let's look at this Romans 12, 1 passage. Uh, again, Romans 12, Verses one and two, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How are we going to be transformed? We're gonna be transformed by renewing our mind, by abiding in his word and replacing our thoughts that do not line up with him with the truth of who we are in him, of who he says we are, of how he says we should be living. And that's how we're gonna be transformed. Paul says, I beseech you therefore. I don't want you to miss that therefore. Anytime we see that, I've told you a million times, we always ask ourselves, what is it therefore? One of my favorite commentators says that, that a therefore will always take you from belief to behavior. So Paul, in this case, has spent 11 chapters talking to us about doctrine, talking to us about belief, telling us what we need to be believing. He talks to us about grace. You've been saved by grace and not by, by works so that no man can boast. He's talking to us about how Christ on the cross of Calvary canceled our sin canceled not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin in our life. And, and he spent all these 11 chapters telling us all of this, this doctrine and telling us all of this good news. And now he's saying, now that you have this belief, now that you know the truth, how will you act? Well, how will this affect your behavior? And so he says, I beseech you. He says, I urge you, I beg you, because of the mercies of God, because of everything that God has done for you, I want you to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. I like the, the West translation there. It says, I therefore beg of you, please, brethren, through the, the instrumentality of the aforementioned mercies of God, by a once and for all presentation, to place your bodies at the disposal of God, a sacrifice, a living one, a holy one, well-pleasing, your rational sacred service, rational in that this service is performed by the exercise of the mind. Don't miss that. He's saying it's a rational, it's a logical uh, service. In other words, if you understand what God has done for you, if you understand the power of God living within you, if you understand that you've been saved by grace, that the, the, the penalty and the power of sin has been canceled in your life. Today I was talking to Leslie. The scripture that's been going through my head so much is reckon yourself dead to sin. Do you know that that word reckon there means? It's, a, it's an accounting term. It's, it's, for instance, when I reconcile my checkbook, I, I, I balance it. I, I add everything up and I come to an irrefutable conclusion. Are you with me? You can't argue when you reckon something. 
It's a fact. Let's, let's, let's count up and, and come to a, 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 an irrefutable conclusion here. Are you following me? Well, I was talking to Leslie. The, the scripture says that we are to reckon ourselves dead. Well, I was talking to Leslie today about her daughter Haley. Haley is a senior in college right now. And she, well, while I was with her, she texted Leslie and she said, it's time to pay my rent. And Leslie said, Rhea, do you, do you know about this new thing that the college kids are doing? It's called Venmo. And Venmo is an app that they have, and, and you can transfer money from one account to another. So Haley, uh, she's rooming with eight other girls, and, and she, the one girl in that crowd is, is paying the rent. And all the other girls use Venmo, and they transfer their funds from their bank account into this girl's on a little touch of an app. How cool is that? I think that's fascinating. But, but, but so Haley was saying, Mom, it's almost the first of the month, and I have committed to paying a portion of the rent, and the rent can't get paid until I transfer this money into her account. So while we were having lunch today, Haley, with a touch of a button, transferred the money for her rent from her bank account into this girl's account. Now I ask you, what would happen? And it was done. It shows right there in the little app that that transaction has taken place. Are you with me? So what would happen if Haley went in tonight, home tonight and, and her girlfriend said, well, I, did, I can't pay the rent and they're going to kick us out because I don't have any money to pay the rent. What would Haley do? She'd get her little app out and say, hey, girlfriend, I transferred the rent to your account on such and such a date. Right here is the receipt. It's proof that I did it. But if that girlfriend, with the proof that she did it, said, oh, well, I'm broke and I'm not paying the rent and Haley and her friends would get kicked out on the street, is it because Haley didn't transfer the funds? No, she has proof. It's written proof that she did it. Whose fault would that be? The girlfriend's. Because she didn't appropriate what Haley did for her and, and, and live in the fullness of that. Are you following me? You're not with me because if you would, we'd be hearing some hallelujahs right now. Because that's what Christ did for us. You see, on the cross of Calvary, he canceled the penalty of sin. And he broke the power of sin in your life. You are dead to sin. It says right here in this word, I got some proof. The transaction has been made. It's a done deal. But now if you leave here tonight and you, precious one, tell me your name. You just hate that you're just sitting right there. Hmm. Catalina. Catalina, what a pretty name. So if Catalina leaves here tonight and she goes out and sins, is that her fault? Is that God's fault? Because God says the transaction's taken place. I have canceled the penalty and the power of sin in your life. Now if Catalina goes out and she sins, that's not God's fault. It's because she failed to appropriate what he already said was credited to her account. Oh, that's just good. Anybody besides me think that's good? Catalina, sorry, precious one. <laughs> but you understand that we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin. But so much of that is what I just said to you, that it involves the mind. We've got to choose to renew our mind with that truth. We've got to choose to exercise the, our mind. It says to, to present yourselves as living sacrifices to God. 
Because that's the rational, that, that is the logical conclusion that you would come to after you realize everything he's done for you. You would present yourself as a living sacrifice. Do you know that in Bible times, well, when, when people would bring a living a sacrifice to the, the, the priests, they would always bring a living sacrifice. It would, be, it would be slaughtered in front of them. The blood would be poured out. Most times it would be, depending on the type of sacrifice it was, it would most often be burnt. Twice a day I read today that, that, that they offered burnt sacrifices. What would happen if twice a day we came to God and said, here I am, <laughs> I'm, I'm presenting myself a living sacrifice. Do you know that when they brought the sacrifice to the priest, they didn't say, I'd like to take it back. Here it is, but psych, I want it back. They didn't do it. They said, here is my sacrifice, and I'm presenting it to God. It's his. Present it. And then what would happen? They'd put it on, 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 the, on the fire. The, the fire would consume it. The, the smoke would go up, and there was no getting that thing back, was there? And that's the picture that they're drawing here for you and I. That is how we're to present ourselves to God because of the mercies of God, because of everything he's done for us. Do you know what he's done for you? One of our team members prayed for salvation tonight and, and I got a smile on my face when she was praying because I thought, Lord, if they could just realize what you've done for them. Do, do you understand how much you're loved? Oh, I've had some loves in my life. Let me just tell you, but there is none that will love you like Jesus. There's none that will never leave you, never forsake you, never relax his hold on you. You see, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Have you tried my Jesus? Because he is the only one that won't fail you. He is the only one. You see, if you understood his great love for you, you'd be running to him, arms wide open. You wouldn't be holding him off by the distance. Oh, dear one, do you have any idea how much you're loved by him? Do you have any idea that he is going to prepare a place for you in eternity? He wants to spend eternity with you. That's forever. Do you know that he doesn't want to be separated from you? Do you know that he paid for the penalty, the penalty of your sin? The wages of sin is death. He took the death so that you didn't have to. Oh, do you know what he's done for you? He says, in light of the mercies of God, present yourself. And that word present means to devote yourself, to, to present yourself to him, devoted. I, I want to make sure I get the right word there. It means to place a person or a thing at one's disposal to place beside or near. It's saying that I'm going to give every aspect of my life to you, Lord. I'm going to yield my whole self to you. I'm going to surrender my everything to you because of all that you've done for me. And I'm not taking it back. I'm giving it once and for all. He says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And, and that word body here, it means the possessor of the appetites. John MacArthur says, it's the place where our, our old, unredeemed humanness resides. Not only our physical being, but also the evil longings of our emotions, our mind, and our will. I, I like theirs. He says, it, the body is the instrument of the soul. Oh, I really like that. Well, because we talked about the soul being your mind, your will, your emotions. And if the body is the instrument of the soul, that means that the, the scripture says that where, what, what a man thinks, so is he. What a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Do you know that what you think you eventually walk out in your life? That's why it's so important that you watch what you're sowing. Sow a thought, you're going to reap a behavior. Do you understand that? What a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why we've got to watch what we're thinking on. 
And so he says, present your bodies. That, that's not just this, this physical body right here. It's, it's, it's my thoughts too, because where my thoughts go, my body's going to follow them. Do you understand that where a, man, a man's mind goes, the body will follow, the man will follow. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. God is not going to force us to obey. He wants us to offer ourselves to him, to, to sacrifice our way of life for his, to sacrifice our wills for his, to sacrifice our desires for his. Paul is begging us, he's beseeching us, he's urging us. There must be a reason that he's saying that. It must be important. There must be a connection to the body that's so important that he says it, that it's important that you present your body to God. We've been talking over the previous weeks about being created in God's image and how uh, we were created in his likeness and, and in the garden man fell and that likeness got marred and, and how everything that we're doing now, that Christ came to, to fix what was broken and, and to restore that image, do you see that? And, and that's why it's so important if you ever come to Bible study, I am going to be preaching with that goal in sight, the restoring of that image, the restoring of that likeness. If you're sitting under teaching that is not pointing you back to the restoring of that likeness, run the other direction. Because that should be the goal of our preaching, is restoration into that image, restoration into that likeness. That goal is always first and foremost in my sight. I believe that any teaching, any instruction should always point me to looking more like him. I can't do that on my own. My job is to present myself to him and his Holy Spirit does the rest. Are you presenting yourself? He says it's only logical. It's, it's only reasonable when you understand what he's done for you. He said it's your holy acceptable. I, I love it. I just want to get that, that wording right there. It says uh, present yourself. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I love this. Well, I've been studying First Peter with some friends, and, and we've been stuck on the word holy. I, I just want you to know, here's some identity for you. You are holy. You say, oh, Rhea, I'm not. Yes, you are. You see, we, we were talking, we were actually laughing because we were talking about the tabernacle and how in the tabernacle they have bowls and they have cups, and they, but they're holy. But those cups and their bowls, those bowls, are no different than the bowls and the cups in our, cab in our cabinets at home. Do you see that? Do you know the only difference about, with those cups and the ones you have in your home? What were they? What is it? Where they're at or the fact that they were, they were declared holy. That, that they, they're no different. They're the same cereal bowl you and I would eat out of. The only difference is that they've been declared holy. Can I tell you, you've been declared holy. There's really, that's right. There's really no difference between you and the unbeliever down the street, but when you get Jesus inside of you, you've been declared holy. Here's why. Oh, this is so good. I have to get up on the stage for this one. I've been thinking about Moses and how the, the, the Lord says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Well, what changed? Well, why did Moses suddenly have to take off his shoes? Why was this ground holy, but this ground over here was not? I want to know. Why do you think? Because God's presence was there. That's what made it holy. You see, God is 
holy. I love that, that on, around the throne right now, do you know that there are cherubim going around the throne and all they're saying is what? Holy, holy, holy. I said to the ladies this weekend, I think it's like this. I think they go around holy, holy. I think that every time they go around, they get a new revelation of who God is and they're just like, oh, holy, holy, holy. I don't have anything better to say than holy, 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 holy. Did you see that? Holy. I think that's what it's like. You never run out of, res re relevations of revelations of his holiness. All they can say is holy, holy, holy. And you see, Moses, that ground was not any, the only difference in the ground to make it holy was the presence of God there. The tabernacle, do you know what made it holy? The presence of God that filled the tabernacle. It was a building. It, it, they used regular uh, uh, construction materials for it. The only thing that made that holy was God's presence in it. Oh, come on, dear ones. Do you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? His presence dwells within you. His Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are not holy because you obey a list of rules. You're not holy because you keep the law that can't be kept. You are not holy because you're good and you give money to the church. Do you know why you're holy? Because the presence of the living God lives within you. Holy, holy, holy. That's just good stuff. You are holy. Doesn't matter if you had a good day, a bad day. Doesn't matter if you said a bad word on your way to work. Doesn't matter if you slammed your steering wheel. Doesn't matter if you cut the woman off in traffic. You, my dear ones, are holy. Can't change it, because guess what? The presence of God lives inside of you. Therefore, he is holy. Ha, so are you. You see that scripture? He says, be holy, why? Because I'm holy. I used to think that that was a command. Rhea, be holy, because I'm holy. And I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna blow it. And then I realized it was a statement. Rhea, be holy. Be what you are, precious one, because I'm holy and I live inside of you. Be holy because I'm holy. Do you understand? You can be holy because he is holy and he lives inside of you. You don't need to be any other way. You don't need to strive. You don't need to work. You just need to be. Do you, do you understand the struggle that we put in our lives when we strive and we strive and we strive trying to keep a bunch of rules when really if we just, were, if we just began to be what he says we are, oh, if we just began to walk out all that he says we are, you see, we don't have to even work it out. We just have to present ourselves as living sacrifices, because the Holy Spirit lives within us. The power to be all that he says we are is in us. Oh, you're not getting that, because you'd be far more excited than that. You've been declared holy. Been declared holy. First Thessalonians says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. People say, well, Lord, what's your will for my life? That's his will right there, your sanctification your sanctification, that you begin to walk out the truth of who you are. That's his will in your life. I want you to flip back over to Romans 6. I'm not gonna keep you really late tonight, so I'm gonna talk fast, so stay with me. Um, Romans chapter six, there's Acts and then there's Romans. Just flip back from, from where you were in 12 if you still have your finger there. Romans chapter six, I, I just want you to see this passage. 
I want to read it, read it all, but we will just start with um, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, what, what are we supposed to do to God in Romans chapter 12? Present yourselves as living sacrifice. Same word. It means to come alongside, to be devoted to. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members, there's that word again, as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life. Oh, I just want you to see that. That's just such a good passage. I just meditate on that this week. Look at that a little closer this week. He's saying, who are you? What are you doing? Are you presenting your members as slaves to sin? Or are you presenting your members as slaves to righteousness? It's a choice. Every single day I decide, am I going to present my members, my, my faculties, one of, the script, one of the translations say, your mind, are you presenting it as a slave to sin? You say, Rhea, I am no longer a slave to sin. No, but you can sure present yourself. You can come alongside and devote yourself to that. Or are you making yourself a slave to righteousness? You say, well, Rhea, that's works. No, it's not. The Holy Spirit lives within you. He makes you walk all that out. Your job is to present yourself a living sacrifice. Here I am, Lord. I think it was Corey Tim Boom that would say, um, reporting for duty. I loved it. Wake up every morning. Here I am, Lord, reporting for duty. I know this is a long passage, but I have to finish. I have to end with this one. Judges 4. Flip back to Judges chapter 4. I'm going to try to, to give you the, the overall, the overview of this story because it's so good and I don't want to read it all, but, but let's just read some portions. Let's, let's start in Judges chapter 4, verse 1. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. I don't want you to miss that. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. If you read through the book of Judges, you're going to see that over and over. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. It was their pattern. It was, they, had a, they lived in a pattern of defeat. And I'm just going to tell you, church, we have a choice. Will we live in a pattern of victory or will we live in a pattern of defeat? It's a choice. The children of Israel, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. I love the book of Judges. I especially love the last verse of this book. If you flip back to Judges 21, look at the last verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That sums up the book of Judges for me. In, in Israel, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I want you to notice that it doesn't say that everyone did wrong. 
It doesn't say that everyone was intentional about doing wrong. It simply says that everyone did right. It was just the right that was in his own eyes. You see, that's what happens when you don't have a king, when you don't have an authority, when you don't live by the word of God and abide in it, you will do what's right in your own eyes. And and you won't be intentional about doing wrong, it's just what's right in your own eyes. And can I just tell you, we will will be led astray. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. That's our, our mind, our will, our emotions. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It will mislead you. And so when you're doing what's right in your own eyes, you will be misled. That's what happened to Israel. They, they did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't have a king. Oh, they had one. They just refused to see him as king. So again, we see the pattern. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now look at the next verse. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Don't miss that word. We're going to come back to it. The commander of his army was Sisera, and the children of of Israel cried out to the Lord for Jabin, had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Look at that. 20 years they were living oppressed by a king. Now, Now, this just wasn't any king. This was the king who dwelt in Hazor. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Flip back to Joshua, I think it's chapter 11, and you will see that God told Joshua to go in. You see, the Canaanites were, 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 were perpetual enemies of Israel. They were always on their tail. They were deadly enemies. They were nasty. They were always on their tail. They were, they were always harassing them. They were always tormenting them. They, 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 were, they were enemies of Israel. And we see it all through the Old Testament. But in Joshua, we see where, where, where God says to, to Joshua, go in and I want you to utterly destroy the Canaanites in Hazor. In Hazor. Hazor! <laughs> Long before this time we're reading in Judges. Joshua goes in, he utterly destroys everything. And not only that, he burns the city to the ground. Now, here we see, I should have checked how long after that this was, but now we see that a king has risen up, a Canaanite king has risen up, and he's living in, he's king of what? Hazor, the city that Joshua utterly destroyed, killed everything off, and burned to the ground. And now that wicked enemy has come up and resurfaced again. Can I just tell you, you might defeat the enemy uh, two months ago, but I'm going to tell you what, he will resurface in your life. If you don't utterly destroy if you don't keep your 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 guard up can i tell you the guard of israel must have come down because hazar came back in and got them a new king and started to torment and oppress israel again yesterday's victory is not going to help you presenting yourself as a living sacrifice day in and day out will help you And so here is this king that's now surfaced in Hazar, and now they're once again oppressing Israel. How many, look at that, he has 900 chariots of iron. We'll see later on in this story that Israel has some swords. That's what the enemy does. He makes himself look so big. He makes you think you have nothing to stand against him with. But you see, what did, I think it was David said, you come at me with with javelin and spear, I come at you with the name of the Lord. 
900 chariots, and they oppressed them for 20 years. And at that point, the word says that the Israelites finally cried out to God. 20 years of oppression, and they're just now crying out to God. What is up with that, church? Why do we do that? Why do we let the enemy oppress and harass us and hold us down and let us walk in defeat? And why do we remain captive and in bondage to him before we cry out to the Lord? And that's what we see over and over in Judges. We see that that's what happens. God gives the, the Israelites victory. <laughs> they, they, they get comfortable. They start doing evil in the sight of the Lord. They get oppressed by the enemy. They, they get in captivity. They get miserable. They cry out to the Lord. He sends a judge. He sets them free. They get happy. They start getting lazy. They do evil in the sight of the Lord. They get oppressed by the enemy. They finally cry out to the Lord. He sends a judge who delivers them. Do you see the pattern? Does that ring true in anybody's life? Everything's honky-dory, peachy-keen. We forget we need to present ourselves as living sacrifice. And so that's what happened here. They, they, got, they, they were oppressed by the enemy for 20 years. And, and this is where Deborah comes into play. She's one of the judges. And she, the Lord says to her, hey, just, we, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to send. You, you're going to defeat them. You're going to defeat the, the Canaanites. And, and so she gets Barak and, and she calls him and she says, you know, the Lord told us he's going to deliver them into our hands. Let's go against them. Barak says, I can't go alone and you have to come with me. And she says, I'm a woman and if I come with you, uh, you're gonna, God is going to deliver the, them into the hands of a woman. You don't want that. He says, yes, I do come with me. Long story. But they, they rise up. Uh, they go. Barak goes out with Deborah. They, they get an army. They defeat uh, Sisera who is the commander, they defeat the Canaanites. Only one little thing happens here. They utterly destroy, they kill everybody off, but Sisera, the commander, escapes with his life. Now, this is where I want to pick up because it's so stinking good. So, so turn over to Judges chapter 4. I just want you to look at verse 11. It says, now Heber, the Kenite. Now, you need to know that the Kenites were part of the Canaanites. They were part of the enemy. Now Heber, the Kenite, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites. Don't miss that. Talk, let, what have we been saying about consecration, separation, sanctification? To separate yourself from the world. So he had separated himself from the, the Kenites or the Canaanites. Are you following me? And so he was living away from them. And it's his wife that it just so happened that, said that, that, that the commander, uh, I think it's, let's get his name right, Cesara, uh, the, the commander, just happens to stumble into her tent when he's looking for safety. Now this is, remember, the man who had separated himself and his family. So pick it up in verse 17. However, Cesara had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazar, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here? 
you shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and went down and it went down into the ground for he was so fast asleep and weary. So he died. Then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, come and I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with a peg to his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Now, I know that that's a lot for you to, to just grasp and hang on to, but remember the picture. Remember the picture of the enemy and how he comes and he wants to bring you down. He can't keep you from heaven, but he can sure keep you living like hell here. And, and that's his goal. His goal is to destroy the Christ-likeness in you. His goal is to, to keep you from looking like Jesus, to keep you from, from, from manifesting his presence, to keep you from shining for him in this, in this world. Do you understand that that's his goal? If he can't keep you out of hell, he's going to keep you living like hell here. And can you live like that and still get to heaven? Maybe. I'm, so, I'm sure you can. Rock on with your bad self. But you know what? I want Christ like this. It's what I want. You can say, well, Rhea, that's works. No, it's not. It is the goal of salvation. It, my goal of salvation is to not get me to heaven. It's to get heaven into me. It's to, get, it's to restore what was created in the garden for God, for God like this. We were created to look like him. And I want it. Can I just tell you, I want it. I've been reading this week about the things uh, that, that will contaminate the spirit. Oh, that just got me all week long. All I could think about is, Lord, is this going to contaminate my spirit? I don't want it. Will I still go to heaven if I contaminate my spirit? I'm certain of it because nothing can separate me from the love of God. I'm certain that nothing can snatch me out of his hand. But I just want to tell you, I don't want my spirit contaminated. I want to look like him. I want to act like him. Do you understand there's a scripture that says that those who walk in integrity will live securely? Do you know that word securely means a confident mind? I am so, listen, we do this every weekend. We minister to, to men and women every single weekend. And here's what I see. People who don't have confident minds, people who are full of anxiety, people who are full of fear, people who are, are full of insecurity, oh, pet peeve, people who are, are angry and raging, people who are, are jealous and envious, people who are walking in defeat, 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 addicted and, and messed up and jacked up. Can I just tell you? that those who walk in integrity will walk securely and confidently. You see, I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven. Christ already earned it for me. Here's what I'm trying to do. Learn what it means to have a confident mind and live securely, not jacked up. I'm telling you guys, this is what we're not preaching I can tickle your ears. I can tell you some great stories. I can preach a little bit to make you feel good that you leave here saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Maybe I'll go back next week. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll go have coffee with somebody. Maybe I'll watch the game. But here's what I want to tell you. If you're not challenged to change when you're sitting under the word of God, find you another church to go to. Because the word of God should be transforming our life. We should not look the same. If you look the same in June when we finish the study as you look right now, don't come back. Because the truth of the word of God, if you know the truth, if you're intimately acquainted with it, 
If you get it deep down inside of you, it will set you free. You will be transformed when you start renewing your mind with this stuff. Do you understand how this works? So can you die and still go to heaven? Uh, sure, because it is, it is, there's one way to heaven and it's through Jesus Christ, that's it. But he didn't just die to get you to heaven. He died to get heaven in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within you. And we have got to rise up and do what JL did. JL said, wait a second. <laughs> I am not letting you in my tent. You're the enemy, and I am not sleeping with the enemy. I am not aiding and abiding the enemy. He says, could you give me something to drink? You see, that's what flesh will do, and Sisera is a picture of the flesh. The flesh will say, I'm thirsty. Would you just feed me? Would you satisfy me? Will you give me something to quench my thirst? I love that she didn't give him water. He asked her for water. Do you see what she gave him? Milk. What does the Bible talk about? The milk of the word? Being cleansed by the word? I love that she gave him a big old glass of milk. And then he says, now, now, if somebody comes, don't tell them I'm here. Hide me. See, that's what sin does. That's what your flesh does. Your flesh says, hide this. If they knew this about you, they wouldn't like you. They wouldn't want you to be here. Just hide that. Nobody needs to know you're doing a great job covering that up. Hide me. Here's what else the flesh does. Cover me. He says, cover me, and she did. Put on a smile, quote you some scripture. Make sure everybody sees you in the front row on Sunday morning. Raise your hand, hallelujah. <laughs> cover me. Look like you're all that in a bag of potato chips. Guys, come on, do you know how much work that takes? That ta I played that game for too long. I am so done playing that game. Here's what we need to do. Where's the tent peg and the hammer? That thing is coming down. I am not going to placate the flesh in my life anymore. I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I already know I'm holy and acceptable. There's no danger in this. This is actually a reasonable, logical thing to do. And so I'm going to present myself as a living sacrifice. I'm driving the tent peg, guys. I'm driving the tent peg. I'm tired of mundane Christian living. My poor, the poor team tonight, we were praying. I didn't give any of them any time to pray because all I could pray is, I am so sick of mundane, mediocre Christian living. I want to be the real deal or I don't want to be anything at all. My husband is up there asking if I'm the real deal. I'm telling you, if I'm not the real deal, I don't want to be anything at all. I say to the Lord all the time, take me out of this pulpit if I'm not the real deal because I am not playing games. We got a king that's coming soon. Oh, he's coming soon. He is coming soon. And he's coming for a spotless bride that he made sure was spotless. And it's time, church. I, I, am, not, I am not playing any games. I'm not, because I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know what I believe. And I am not moving from it. I don't fear man. I don't fear your opinion of me. 
I'm not seeking your approval. I'm not seeking your pat on the back. I really don't give a rip if you like me or not, but I'm telling you what, I am gonna preach the Jesus that I love because I am convinced there is no other way to life. There is no, I tried it all. I tried it all, Leslie, I tried it all. What I didn't try, Leslie did. We got you covered. I'm not super proud of that fact, but it really works for us because I can honestly say I tried it and it doesn't work. If you could find life in anything other than Jesus, I would have found it. I checked. But the reason I preach the way I do is because I know that I know that I know that there is no other way to life. I know it. I know that he who walks in integrity does indeed walk securely. I know that, that, that it is when I present myself as a living sacrifice and I am dead to sin. I am so alive in him. Can I tell you, we are so alive in him. He is your life. Do you understand it? He is your life. He is your life. If you're here tonight and, and you don't feel like you have life, like you're depressed and you are in despair and you are hopeless all the time, can I tell you, just get under the spout where the glory comes out because he is your life. He is your life. And it's when you realize that, in light of God's mercies, he says, I beg you, present yourself living sacrifices. He says in, in Romans chapter six, do not go on presenting. I, I, I just wanna tell you this before we close. Do not go on presenting your members as instruments of sin. It's a present imperative there. It means to stop doing this. One commentator says they're to terminate an action already in progress. In other words, stop presenting your members as instruments to unrighteousness, to sin. It's a choice, guys. We have a choice, day in and day out. Remember, it's, it has to do with the mind. It's an exercise of the mind. Am I going to present myself, my, my body, as an instrument to, to sin or as an instrument to righteousness? Which one am I gonna do? Because I am a slave to righteousness. And that's how I have to start looking at it. I've got to start thinking that way in my mind. That means if I walk up to Karen and she's gossiping, I have a choice. Am I going to present my faculties and my body as an instrument to unrighteousness? Am I gonna sit there and listen to what she has to say in her gossip session? Am I gonna contribute to it? Ain't no way, I'm driving a stake through that baby. I am driving a 10 peg through it. And I am going over here and saying, living sacrifice, I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice. I'm making myself a slave to righteousness because I know that he who walks in integrity walks securely. I am having nothing to do with that. I'm driving a 10 pegs through it. Do you see it? It's a choice, guys. I've set before you life and death. What are you gonna choose? You can choose the other, still get to heaven, I'm sure but you won't walk in one ounce of victory here on earth. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. That's his will. Good enough for me, good enough for you guys. You see, I've tried both. I've tried to just get by. I've tried, I was raised in the church. I was raised there. 
I could quote scripture. I had a great Sunday school teacher. I'm telling you, she taught me from the time I was little. Every time I would move up a grade, she would move up with me. And I, I, I mean, she nailed the word. She pounded the word into me. I knew it. I, I could quote scripture while I was going to the bar. I mean, I knew it. There is something completely different in being able to quote it and knowing it and living it. You see, I live both sides of the fence. I'm not condemning anyone. I'm just telling you where I found victory. It's one beggar telling the other one where to find bread. I'm just telling you, I know where to find the bread. And it is not just confessing it and professing it. It is in living it, in living it, in walking it out. Do you have to? No, I guess not. You don't. But you will live a marginal, mediocre, powerless life. I don't want it, guys. So in light of God's mercies, I'm going to present myself wholly and devoted to him. A living sacrifice. One that doesn't jump off the altar. One that doesn't say, oh, I changed my mind. One that says, into your hands, Lord. I yield and surrender. Change my life. And set me free. You are a living sacrifice. You are holy and acceptable to God. That's your identity. You are freed from the power of sin. That's who you are. Now in light of that, go this week, presenting yourself to God as a slave of righteousness. Not presenting your members as slaves to sin instruments of sin. One, one translation says, don't lend your body as an instrument to sin. I always tell Dave, that person just used, let, that person was just a tool in the hand of the enemy. That's what happens when we lend our bodies to sin. We become a tool in the hand of the enemy instead of a tool in the hand of God. Go this week. Display his likeness to the world around you. We can't look like him if we don't act like him. We can't act like him until we have a knowledge of his word. John says, I have no greater joy than seeing my children walk in truth. Live out the truth who they are. Live out the truth of his word. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about RIA or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ. <laughs>